Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in England. Chamakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And uh, we're just rolling through these events now. We've had the UFC Apex churning the events out. Fight Island is about to churn some events out over the course of the next 30 days or so. But it's getting busy. We've got stuff to do. This is good. I remember when we started doing this, Sandu. We had nothing. We were basically just scraping the barrel. We were talking about Netflix recommendations, uh, fights that we'd like to see. Now we're talking about real fights and they're coming thick and fast and it's it's brilliant. Yeah, this is exactly what we wanted. This is exactly why we brought the podcast back. And like you said, we're in the thick of it now, which is a beautiful thing. And I, I think for my end, the, the bigger success from this past weekend, Simon, I was able to consume my dinner before my shift started for BT Sport. The card actually started a little bit earlier than we normally get it. Um, the, the, the fight pass prelim started at 5 o'clock Eastern time, which is 10 o'clock in the UK. And then... It was lovely. It was a lovely thing. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that, that was like my major kind of win this past weekend. How about you? Yeah, it was, it was good. And I actually, quite often what I do when, when there's a big UFC event on, um, I will normally watch the first couple of prelims because uh, I do a feature for MMA Junkie called Rookie Report where we talk about the fighters making their debuts and um, sort of grade how they do and all the rest of it. And they're normally in the, in the fight pass prelim portion of the card. So I normally stay up for that. Then I normally go to bed, get some tactical sleep in and then wake up for the main card and watch the main card after a couple of hours sleep. That's then enough to carry me through the day so that I don't turn into some sort of grumpy zombie by the end of it. So that's normally what I do. But this one, I was so excited by the fact that this was such an unexpected early start. I was expecting it to just be the usual Las Vegas, 11.30 for for the uh, Fight Pass prelims, 1 a.m. for uh, the ESPN prelims, and then 3 a.m. for the main card. When I saw it was an early start, I was, I was buzzing. I was like, right, I'm just going to stay up and do this. So I ploughed through and did the whole thing. Um, I was absolutely knackered by the end of it, but <laughs> but it was a great night of fights. I mean, granted, you look on paper at the uh, you know the list of results and the you know the last four fights on the main card were decisions, but there was some compelling stuff going on in those fights. It was it was a good event. Um, we had some interesting stuff early on in the card and plenty to unpack as we as we sort of roll into things, Sandu. I mean. Kicking thing. Let's let's just kick straight off with the first fight of the night, which is one of the most talked about fights um, of the entire of, of of the entire event. Austin Hubbard defeated UFC debutant Max Roshkoff um, via TKO uh, retirement at the end of the second round. So Max Roshkoff actually started that fight really well. Um, looked looked like the unbeaten prospect that he was he was hailed as when he arrived. Um, he only signed the fight during fight week so uh, uh was it during fight week no it was uh, just before fight week i think it was 10 days notice he had and he came in and looked he looked good in the first round but then austin hubbard with that superior cardio the fact he'd been in a full fight camp he then started to put it to max roshkoff in that second round and broke him mentally uh and then on the stall at the end of the round and it was heartbreaking to watch because you saw this this young lad who was unbeaten as a as a professional making his UFC debut on short notice, completely mentally broken in in his corner, telling his coach, "Call it, call it off, call it." Um, and his coach Robert Drysdale, who's coming for quite a bit of criticism as a result of it, wasn't having any of it, and he was all prepared to send him out there and was telling him, "No, you're a champion. You, you've got this. You can do this." And then eventually, the referee and one of the commissioners, I think, was the first person to sort of sort of tip the wink to the ref, say that we need to stop this. The ref went over, had a word with Roshkov, took him away from his corner, asked him, and uh, then the fight got stopped. I'm sure you watched along with, you know, same same as I did, Sandu. What were your thoughts on this? Because there's been a lot of debate online, some of it quite heated, about the role of the corner in this. Should he have been so strong in trying to keep his fighter in the fight? Uh, I know he's since put out a statement um saying it was more of a mental thing than a physical thing um where where do you side in this sort of thing because it's not as black and white as people might have you believe well there's a few ways to kind of digest and you know provide an opinion on on a on a situation like this i think the first thing is what was the initial reaction so watching it live 
I was pretty shocked. I'm not going to lie. I I thought it was you know bad on on the corners part, bad on Robert Drysdale to not listen to at least the first two or three calls of Max saying I'm done. I quit. Call it. Call it. Call it. Like you know, by the end of the minute of uh, that rest period in between rounds, he he had said to call it. It got into double figures. That's a, that's a that's a lot of times to say I'm done. I'm finished. You know, I can't continue in the space of 60 seconds. That's a lot. That's a lot of times. And so initially I was like, wow, that's that's some of the you know, worst corn, cornering and corner advice. Uh, and I guess um, management of your athlete and your fighter I've seen in quite some time, perhaps ever. Um, and one thing we have to kind of, I guess, um, take into consideration here is we don't always hear every corner all the time. It's, it's it's very selective with regards to, you know, which which direction the broadcast ends up going. So, in a way, we were quite fortunate to have that inside look in terms of the conversation between the two um, at that moment during the course of the fight. And then when you start to kind of, uh, I guess, you know, sleep on it, you know, start to kind of hear, you know, all the various. You know, sides to it then you can perhaps you know understand a little bit where Robert Drysdale was coming from he knows his fighter better than anybody else um, you know he's perhaps trying to uh, motivate him mentally and emotionally um, still I, I still kind of stick to what my initial reaction was which is if it's just a question of your fighter saying I'm done one or two times and you've within that minute within that 60 second period you're able to a turn them around and then give them advice and have them acknowledge your advice and have them say okay actually you're right I can do this great but it but it it got really awkward and, and painful to watch where the full minute had expired and then he had to tell the commission that yeah I'm done and I can't continue um, and and then obviously the re- the ref kind of waved it off and of course uh, the fallout from that is the Nevada State Athletic Commission is now going to look into this um, so it'll be interesting to see if there's any kind of other ramifications um, based upon what they end up you know doing uh, based on you know the statements made by all the development parties the one thing that's been a little bit um, I'd say annoying and a little disheartening from our MMA bubble, the MMA community, is this idea that unless you're a fighter or unless you're a cornerman or a coach or unless you've trained in mixed martial arts or something or, or, or had a professional fight, your opinion isn't valid. You know, you can't weigh in and give your two cents on the situation. Listen, we live in a free world, man. If you're a fan, you can weigh in on things. If you're a journalist, you have the right to weigh on. In fact, it's your job as a journalist, um, most of the time, to give an opinion based upon what you've seen. And again, I'm just taking our situation um, into consideration here. Between the two of us, we've been in this sport and in this industry and in this business for many, many years. And we've seen so many fights. And, you know, everyone, whether it's through social media or in podcast form or uh, a written editorial piece, Whatever your platform, you know, whatever your avenue, if you feel as though you want to give an opinion and a take on this, I think you've got every right to. And people may disagree if they if they want to, but to just dismiss it and say you don't have the right to give an opinion on something like that, I think is uncalled for. That's just my two cents on it. Yeah, and no, I agree with that. I mean, I've been covering the sport over a decade now, and I've been covering sport in general for more than two decades, and. So and and during that time, people have entrusted me with, you know, the ability to report on what I see, um, and 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 to give my opinion at points, you know, um, when it came to this, I was I was quite I was quite disheartened watching it. I understand the psychology aspect to it. At the start, we had a fighter who basically said, "I haven't got it, I haven't got this, I can't do this, I'm done." And his coach, who knows him better than anybody else, is telling him, you can do this. You have got this. And was trying to snap him out of it. That I could... So the first couple of um, sort of exchanges between them, I totally, totally understand and appreciate that. But as you said, 
once it started to elongate into the second the second 30 seconds and he's still telling him i can't do this i can't do this i can't do this here's something if he does that in the middle of the fight that's a verbal submission ref st- ref steps in it's game over there's no discussion fights off if he turns to the ref and says i haven't got i can't do this anymore i'm done call it the ref will call it like that so that's the other thing to bear in mind here so i i, I I understand where Robert Drysdale is coming from. And I understand that he knows his fighter better than anybody else. And that he obviously was appreciative of the fact that Max is a better fighter than Max thought he was on the stall after the second round. And he wanted him to go out there and give him a chance to prove that. The problem is, if the fighter hasn't got it in him at that moment, you're sending out a sitting duck. He was getting lit up anyway. Um... Even though he wasn't injured and he didn't seem to have anything physically wrong with him, mentally he'd checked out. Um, that's not a criticism of Max, by the way. That's just a statement of what I saw on the TV. Um, he'd mentally checked out. As far as he was concerned, he'd, he'd fought his fight and that was it. He was done. And had he been thrown back out there for another round... That could have got really ugly. He could have got injured. He could have got badly hurt. He could have sustained unnecessary injury. And ultimately, he would have lost even worse than he did by quitting on his stall. I think um, had he got absolutely, completely battered in the third and final round, there's an argument to suggest that he may never come back to the UFC again after that. After such a such a beatdown like that, that would have been terrible for him. The fact that, he, that that it was kind of curtailed at least gives them a chance to go back to the drawing board and for Drysdale to sit down with him and say, "I thought you had, I thought you had another round in you there, Max. The fight stopped after round two. I thought you had another round in you. So we still haven't seen all of you inside the octagon. Let's get back to the drawing board. Let's build ourselves up again and let's go again with a full training camp." And hopefully the UFC give Max Roshkov the opportunity to do that. Because I think anybody who steps in on short notice for the UFC debut and gets beat deserves another go um, with a full camp. Assuming they've conducted themselves appropriately. And Max has conducted himself entirely appropriately, you know. So, yeah, I I, I feel for Max Roshkov. Um, I, I appreciate Robert Drysdale's position, although I disagree with it to a point. Um, and, and, and the thing that you said about people turning around and saying, you can't, you know, you can't comment on this or you, you, you know, your, your opinion isn't valid because you didn't do it. That would wipe out most of the media in most sectors across the whole planet. Are you telling me that we can't report, you know, news people can't report on the president of the United States of America unless they were a prior president? Are we saying people can't report on politics unless they're a former member of parliament? Are we saying people can't report on, you know, anything without having done it themselves? Yeah, it makes sense to have people within your coverage who have that on hands on experience. Absolutely. But you also need people who are seasoned, trained journalists and reporters who can give their view. And then what you have, certainly with an outlet perspective, you then have a, you, you know, you then have a mix of, of, of uh, opinions. Sometimes they don't always they don't always uh, mesh. But that makes for good content as well. When you have opposing views and different opinions, that's great. If everyone had the same opinion, then you know coverage would be boring anyway. But to turn around and say you don't you don't deserve to air your opinion or or, or your opinion isn't valid, that's tosh. That's absolute tosh. That's like by saying that you're basically telling almost every fan who sits in front of the TV that their opinion doesn't matter, um, and their opinion does matter because if 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 they're not uh, lending their support and paying their dollars or whatever to tune in and watch these fights these fights aren't going to get paid these fights aren't going to happen and this sport isn't going to survive so i think we all need to be a little bit more humble about everything allow people their opinion uh and yeah understand that people come from different different aspects of of uh of life and have different experiences but no one person has a monopoly on 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 knowledge or or has has monopoly on an opinion so I don't get that at all. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one. That was just the first fight of the night, Sandu. There's a whole load more followed that one. We won't go in quite so much depth after that one. Laura Murphy got a really hard-earned win against Roxanne Modafferi. Uh Then we had another debutant, Justin James. Uh, 
who stepped in on, I think it was like three days notice, two days notice. He signed his contract on the Wednesday during fight week to fight Frank Camacho, who anyone who's been a long-time fan of the UFC and actually is a proper hardcore fan and tunes in and watches the prelims, Frank Camacho is a bit of a cult hero because he gets in there and he always throws down. His fights are always great to watch. Uh, he's had six fights, or he had had six fights going into that one at the weekend, and three of them earned fight of the night bonuses. So that's the sort of guy you're talking about. Justin Jane steps in, three days notice. Uh, he makes weight. Frank Camacho doesn't. Um, and then he smokes Frank's, Frank Camacho by TKO in 41 seconds. Awesome performance. Um and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. It's, I love seeing debutants step in and do stuff like this. It's the tale of two debutants. You had Roshkoff came in and didn't quite, didn't quite have it. Justin James came in and absolutely hit a home run. It was outstanding, Sandu. What did you, what did you make of that performance? Yeah, and I, and I think this kind of goes into when fighters step up on, on short notice. Maybe they don't have a gas tank for for the full 15 minutes, and maybe they know that. And perhaps they're just gonna, you know, go, you know all guns blazing for the first couple of minutes hit and hope uh, and see if they can you know get an early stoppage and that's exactly what happened now who knows if he did have you know the gas tank for 15 minutes maybe that's just his style maybe that's just how he kind of you know fights but it it was a great way to kind of kick off uh the main i guess the main broadcast because that's exactly when my shift started on bt sport and uh i thought here we go again i thought we're gonna have another repeat of the weekend before where like it's just like you know, fights finishing in under a minute uh, for, for the for the first few fights of the night, but that was a great way to kind of kick off the uh, the the main broadcast, and then and then literally following that, Gillian uh, Anderson defeated Courtney Casey um, via submission uh, with just seconds to go actually in the fight. It was kind of four four minutes and thirty two seconds of round three, uh, rear naked choke, and the only one the only reason I really wanted to kind of maybe put a spotlight on that one is we got a bit of history now with Julian Anderson, she now holds the record of most submissions by women in the history of the UFC. So she's got four, and then there's four other fighters who have three each. Ronda Rousey, Rose Namajunas, Cynthia Calvillo, and Montana De La Rosa. So uh, kudos to Julian Robertson for uh, putting herself there in the in the kind of history books for the time being. We'll see, you know, if things develop and change in, in the coming years, but she's in a good spot right now. Yeah, it's interesting to follow her career as well because um, her and Dean Thomas both worked and trained out of American Top Team. And Dean Thomas, long-time UFC fighter, became a coach at ATT and has now decided to go go it alone and do do his own thing. And Gillian Robertson is one of his one of his uh, one of his fighters who's decided to leave ATT and go with him and work exclusively with Dean Thomas, which is. It's it's a leap of faith. It shows you how much trust she has in Dean. Um, and but because of the whole COVID situation, uh, finding training facilities is a little bit tricky. So Dean Thomas basically bought a whole load of gym mats and matted his his garage his his garage. So he did all his floor, did all the walls, and turned his garage into uh, a training room and trained Gillian Robertson for a fight with Courtney Casey. Courtney Casey, by the way, is one of the toughest cookies in that division. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, she's, she, she's moved up and looks, looks really good at 25. And I, I, I figured whoever won that is going to push themselves up towards a contender position. Robertson got it done. And Courtney Casey was livid. I think her corner was giving her advice at that time. And Robertson just saw an opportunity, slipped in that rear naked choke and got it done. Big win for her, but, uh, I'm sure Casey will be back again. Mark Andre Barrio, um, from Canada, your neck of the woods, Sandu stepped in there and uh, really went for it. I think he he fought like a man who thought that if he lost, his his uh, his UFC career would be over. And he went in there and absolutely put it on Oscar Pihota, the former Cage Warriors middleweight champion. Uh, his results have been a bit up and down since he's been in the UFC. Um, and uh, Barrio, who looked big at middleweight, really uh, really did a number on 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 Pihota and finished him late in that second round. Canada are struggling at the moment for 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 MMA MMA stars. Gillian Robertson is 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 someone they can get behind. She's Canadian. Um, Mark Andre Barrio. I don't necessarily think he's going to be uh, challenging the sharp end of the middleweight division, but he's going to be a tough out for anybody at eighty five. 
What's the what's the what's the temperature like up there in terms of following MMA in Canada and are there names that people are getting excited about? It's it's tough to say, Simon, I, and I, and I don't mean any disrespect, but I just don't think there is. I mean, I think the biggest kind of hope uh, Canadian MMA had in terms of uh, a UFC champion was Felicia Spencer, who obviously was dominated against Amanda Nunes. And then I think when you're looking at names in the sport. Of course, you've still got Rory McDonald, right? But he's the PFL. Um, it, it's not too dissimilar, the, 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 the scene here to the UK, where both countries have just had the, the, the one um, champion in the UFC in George St. Pierre and Michael Bisping, respectively. Had other fighters, you know, compete for the championship. Dan Hardy, Rory McDonald in the, in the UFC we're talking about here. Um, and there's... Um, there's, there is definitely a regional circuit and there's a, there's def- obviously some gyms uh, you know across the country the hot spots probably being Quebec and and British Columbia uh, where, the, where the main gyms are uh, but if I was kind of con- going to compare the UK to Canada I think the UK's got a much healthier regional scene regional circuit more gyms more shows uh, more shows with a higher profile uh, and I guess a quicker route um, uh, or pathway to the Bellators and, and the and the UFCs of the world. So, um, I, I, and I think obviously with you know with George Saint Pierre, it was just the perfect fighter at the right time. You know, in in the perfect market at a time of the sport where you know it was still traditional pay per view, and you've got an entire country behind you and all the rest of it. So, this is this is going to be a challenge the UFC is going to face moving forward. You know, especially with you know how many fighters they have how many shows they have to try and build up a star in a particular market where it's country specific it's not easy in this day and age compared to say five six seven years ago so um so i think that's a long way of or a long-winded way of saying that we're i guess in canada still waiting to see who that next big breakthrough star is going to be obviously in the uk we've got darren till who has had high-profile fights, had big uh, a massive spotlight on him, had that great showcase in Liverpool, fought for a UFC championship, is now on the on the run again uh, to perhaps you know get another crack at a UFC championship in the middleweight division. Don't see where that's that you know um, similar individual here is in Canada at the moment. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that was uh, a big win for Barrio. Um... Interesting to see what they do with him next, but uh, he's a tough cookie at 185. Tisha Torres got a good win over Brianna Van Buren. Um, it's a good win, a good good night for uh, for Torres and and uh, partner Raquel Pennington, who also picked up a win against Marion Renault. Uh, Hard earned win, a real back and forth scrap that one on on the main card. Uh, Bobby Green got a win against Clay Guida. That was a good fight. I like Bobby Green. He's a, he's a real character and. Um, really nice video he put out afterwards with his uh, with his adopted father, where he he sort of gave a powerful message about the whole Black Lives Matter and all the rest of it. I mean, um, adopted into a white family, um, and uh, he, he had you know it, it really hit home. I thought I thought that was a really a really good moment. But the main card, Sandu, good fights on the main card. We've got to talk about Jim Miller. Um, Roosevelt Roberts is someone who came into the uh, came into that that fight with a fair bit of momentum, a fair bit of hype behind him, but maybe they threw him in a little bit too, a, a bit too deep too early. Jim Miller submitted him with an arm bar halfway through the first round. Um, and uh, I think he's tied for third or no, he stands alone as third all time for wins in the UFC, Jim Miller. I mean, he just, he just keeps on going and he suffered with Lyme disease a couple of years ago and he's, his career took a bit of a dip, but it looks like he's back again. Yeah, and it's kind of it makes you wonder if he hadn't suffered from Lyme disease, how much better would he have been? He's thirty six now, right? And so, you know, you'd think that the prime of his career, you know, is in the rearview mirror. But then he puts on a performance like that, and you're thinking, well, actually, hang on a second, you know, has he still got a bit of gas left in the tank? And he's he's one of the fighters that's competed in you know, on UFC one hundred, UFC two hundred, and I think he's aiming. Uh, to be the only fighter to to compete on UFC 300 as well, uh, so that's a great goal for him to have. He's obviously, you know, I think he looking at the the disclosed pay from the past weekend, he was the big winner. It was 106 and 106 thousand uh, uh, show and win, um, so close to a quarter of a million, you know, US dollars 
for 36 year old Jim Miller who's still looking great can still you know produce the goods and, and he's a I think he's a good company man I think the UFC and the matchmakers love to use him uh, whenever they can uh, and he's just a good guy in the sport you know if anyone's had a chance to kind of follow his career or you know in our case you know spend some time to to get to know him or interview him he's, he's a real class act so it was great to see him uh, get back into the UFC and, and uh, get another win and also do it in emphatic fashion yeah, $50,000 performance of the night bonus you got as well. So uh, good night for uh, for the bank balance for uh, for Jim Miller. I think, uh, yeah, 208000 was his was his uh, fight pay, according to Nevada State Athletic Commission, plus another fifty k on top of that. So, yeah, bank to quarter of a mil, not bad for uh, for Jim Miller. Bilal Mohamed picked up a, a hard-earned win over Lyman Good. That was a decent fight. We talked about Raquel Pennington beating Marion Renault. Let's talk about the co-main event, Sandu, because this was a fight that I think is definitely in the running for for fight of the year so far. Absolute banger of a fight. Josh Emmett defeated Shane Burgos after three rounds, and I have no idea how the fight got to the scorecards. I remember I remember you said the words, which probably are why it went to the scorecards. You you basically did a me and jinxed it. By saying there is no way the judges are going to be needed for this fight, you said it on last week's show. This is going to finish. I don't care who wins; it's going to be a finish. I don't know how there wasn't a finish in this fight. Josh Emmett hits like a truck, and Shay. I, I tweeted during the fight: Shane Burgos's chin deserves a performance of the night bonus because he was getting absolutely cracked on the chin and just kept bouncing back. It was an amazing fight. Um, a lot of people picked Burgos to win that fight. I was one of them. Um, and in the MMA Junkie staff picks, I think like there's 14 of us, I think, on the panel. And I think only two or three picked Josh Emmett. Uh, and I think Josh Emmett took notice of that um, and had a few words to say after the fight. And I, I, it may have been partly to do with to do with the fact that so many, so many people who actually made their picks public had gone with Burgos, who seemed like the hot hand going into it. But Josh Emmett is as tough as old boots. I remember... In Rotterdam, he made his UFC debut. He stepped in on short notice to fight John Tuck in Rotterdam. Um, and I got to chat to him um, as he was checking in, actually. Um, and uh, really nice guy, really humble guy, but ridiculously tough. I think uh, I think he injured himself in that fight as well um, and ended up winning winning the decision, I think. Um, and he injured himself again in this fight. I think he did his knee first 45 seconds of the fight and uh, somehow managed to go through uh, against an absolute killer in Shane Burgos and pick up a huge, huge win. The big question now is, what on earth do you do with him next? Because you look at everybody above him in the rankings, most of them are all booked up or are about to be booked up. So it's it's a tricky spot for him, but he definitely deserves a push. He was calling for it in the post-fight press conference. And he deserves it, don't you think? He absolutely does. But I think what you do with uh, with Josh Emmett is you give him some time off, Simon, because he has got one hell of an injury to recover from. Literally within 15, 20 seconds of the of the fight, his, uh, his, his knee completely went. And we now know after the fact, and this is per Josh Emmett, just who tweeted this yesterday, a complete ACL tear, an MCL sprain with partial tearing, a Baker's cyst rupture, which I haven't got a clue what the hell that is, mate. Um, a focal impact fracture of the femur on the lateral. And a chondral defect, which is uh, cartilage on the tibia. And So that's a hell of a laundry list uh, for your knee. So who knows if he's going to need some surgery, rehab, but he's definitely going to be on the sidelines for a while, which is a shame because, like you said, Simon, this guy's action. He brings it. I was lucky enough to be in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, back in December of 2017, where he was in the co-main event and he delivered a highlight reel knockout of Ricardo Lamas, which I remember at the time, I remember at the time that was kind of like the big signature win on Josh Emmett's record. And it's kind of crazy because after that, only fought once in 2018, which was a loss to Jeremy Stevens, And then he had a, a pretty good, a really good 2019 actually you know picked up uh, a tko win over missard bektik and then a knockout of, another highlight reel knockout of michael johnson and then you have this match with shane burgos listen if 
if Zhang Wei Li versus Joanna Yan Jacek didn't occur, Simon, in 2020, this would be the absolute front runner for the fight of the year. By the end of the third round, I think we were all, you know, thinking the same thing. Damn it. If only this was a five-round fight, could we, could we have got two more rounds here? Because it was very compelling. Because Shane Burgos actually started great. You know, I don't know whether he noticed uh, Emmett's knee go and buckle, but he, he started to focus with lots of leg kicks, especially in the calf area, which we've actually seen a big trend of fighters um, utilising in the last couple of years. And it's been very effective, even seeing some you know fights end via leg kick TKOs. But... Credit to Josh Emmett. He just kind of bit down on his gum piece, uh, on his mouthpiece rather, and kind of started to throw absolute bombs. And I tell you what, man, Shane Burgos's chin is made out of granite. And and, and and it's one of those fights also where even though Shane Burgos lost, it's not one, it's, it's, it's one of those performances and fights where his stock doesn't go down. If anything, his stock goes up. Because I think everyone saw his heart, his determination, um, you know, his toughness in willing to kind of take that punishment from Emmett and still stand there in front of him. So absolute round of applause for both of those guys. Um, it, it's kind of funny because looking at Emmett's injury, we'll probably see Shane Burgos fight sooner than Emmett um, by the looks of things. But when Emmett does come back, I hope the UFC put him in another co-main event or a pay-per-view main card or give him a fight night um, main event spot because I think he's earned it at this stage. Yeah, we did a feature on uh, on Junkie uh, where I, I, had to, I had to try and work out what on earth you do with Josh Emmett next. And the main thing was sit and rest, get fit again. I'd love to see him against someone like Calvin Cater. I think stylistically that would be an outstanding matchup. Cater's fighting Dan Ige next. Um, so obviously the result of that would have a lot a lot to do with it. But I'd love to stylistically Calvin Cater versus uh, Josh Emmett I think would be an absolute banger and then would get would get him straight back in there. But I suspect given that list of, uh, of injuries that he's picked up that we aren't going to see him for the rest of 2020. Um, and possibly not until uh, the second half of 2021, because that is a lot that needs rehabbing, and and you know it's 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 a tough one. And this is the thing, like, and I I tweeted it. Um, I, I sort of quote tweeted uh, Emmett's tweet, and I said uh, I've said it before, and I think it's a good good chance to say it again. MMA fighters at the top level are a different breed to the rest of us. Their ability to take pain. Um, and deal with debilitating injury like that and to just keep going through is insane. It is absolutely insane. And it wasn't like he just survived the fight. He won the fight. That's the thing. I mean, like, you've seen people get injured and nurse their way. I remember watching um, John Jones versus Ovin St. Preux, UFC 197. Not the best fight in the world, but Ovin St. Preux broke his arm in, I think it was the first or the second round of that fight. And fought the rest of the fight with a broken arm, and took John Jones, the greatest of all time, the distance um, in a title fight. And you, and obviously he lost. But the you know just to see someone go through that and 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 show the heart to go through that sort of pain and still keep going. You know Thiago Santos when he fought John Jones was an absolute mess. I think his knee got destroyed in that fight, and he just kept going through and he managed to survive. Um, Josh Emmett won. That, that, which makes his performance all the more all the more incredible. After the after the fight, he called it a horrible fight. He said it was a horrible fight. I don't know why everyone keeps congratulating me. I didn't like it. It was a horrible fight. I was like, well, if that's a horrible fight, I'd like to see one of your good ones. Put it like that. Um, granted, it's horrible due to the injury, but hell of a performance from Josh Emmett. The only downside is he isn't going to get the chance to sort of piggyback onto the momentum that he's just generated for himself because he's probably going to have to minimum, minimum to sit out for a few months in rehab. But almost certainly he's going to have to go under the knife, I think, and have his knee knee reconstructed. That left us with the main event, which, to be honest, after the the, uh, the sort of the white knuckle rider, the co-main event, was a, was a little bit of a, a little bit of a chill out session, really. Curtis Blades, you can't blame him. He said before the fight, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrestle Volkov. I'm going to take him down. He said he was going to ragdoll him. I don't think he ragdolled him, but he certainly wrestled the living daylights out of him for five rounds. Um, Volkov stuck in there gamely and managed to avoid too much damage, although I'm not sure Blades really tried that hard to finish the fight. 
Um, and then towards the end, Blade started to gas because of the ridiculous pace he was pushing. And Volkov sort of showed signs that he was going to sneak his way back into the fight. Started to land some stuff. And he was like, okay, this might get interesting in the final round. But at the end of the day, he just couldn't stop Curtis Blaze from taking him down. And in the end, that was the defining factor. The scorecards were much closer than I expected them to be, Sandy. 49-46. Okay, I can understand that. 48-47. I don't know what that judge was watching. And 48-46. So I, I I don't understand why the cards were quite that close. I thought it was it was it was a virtual shutout. You could maybe give Volkov a round, but um, solid performance from Blades. But the problem with this Sandu is, has this done anything for his stock at all? Because this is the only opportunity he had to leapfrog Francis Ngannou, who has smoked him twice. There's no one else above him other than the two guys fighting for the belt. So this is a chance for you to turn around and go, no, 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 he's not the guy. I'm the guy, and here's why. And he goes out there, he smokes Alexander Volkov. All of a sudden, there's an argument for putting him in. Um, but he didn't. He basically said, yeah, I'm going to do, I'm going to just wrestle him for five rounds. And uh, it didn't it didn't endear himself to Dana White, some of the things he said during fight week. Didn't massively endear himself to fans who were hoping for a, a more entertaining fight. He won the fight, but I don't know really what he did for his career, to be honest. I think even if he was to have knocked out Volkov within seconds of the first round, I think he would have still been up against it to try and leapfrog Francis Ngannou to to fight for the title next. Um, obviously, just as a refresher for everyone, you know he's only got two losses on his record, and both of them are to Francis Ngannou. The one thing I say about Volkov, though, I was personally a little bit disappointed in his performance, just because if you look at his UFC tenure, he's, he comes in and aside from a, a very late capitulation of the mind, he would have been six and zero. You know, the Derek Lewis fight, he should have won that fight, um, and he kind of just gave it away. But he's been found out. You know, Curtis Blades took him down with ease, and I think the blueprint is out there now. For anyone that's going to fight him in the future, as long as you can take him down, you're pretty much going to be able to cruise through to a victory there. Um, I'll give Volkov a little bit of credit. Um, towards the end of the fight, he was you know, beginning to show signs of coming back into it, and he was starting to do a few bits and pieces, but it was just too little, too late. Um, he should have just you know, thrown everything but the kitchen sink in that final round because there was no way he was going to get the, um, the, the decision on the judges' scorecard. But back to Blades. Tough spot. And like you said, Simon, Dana White in the post-fight press conference didn't have very nice things to say about him. And when the, the promoter of the of the UFC um, isn't going to put you over after a main event performance, that tells you everything you need to know with regards to what your future possibilities and opportunities are. So I think the best thing Curtis Blades can do now is, okay, cool, he, look, he, he's won the fight. He's got some money in the bank. The biggest thing for him is he knows now that his gas tank isn't great. If anyone was able to kind of stick around post-fight um, and ch- check out the um, the fight night um, interview just minutes after the fight ended, this man was absolutely gassed. He was gasping for air as John Anik is asking questions. He was trying to get his wherewithal be, you know, with him and, and answer questions, and he just wasn't able to do it. He was kind of like all over the shop. It was kind of... A little bit disturbing to see that come through on the broadcast. I mean, of course, you know, they, they want these fighters that win and are able to kind of, you know, take part in these post-fight interviews uh, to be able to maximize on that opportunity, right? Because you've got all these fans watching, but that wasn't a good look. That wasn't a good look at all for Blades. I think he knows it, we know it, everyone watching knows it, that... If he was to fight someone like a Steve Miocic or, or, or a Daniel Cormier or someone that can go a hard, you know, twenty-five minutes, that Curtis Blades would be would be out, you know, he'd be out um, unless he was to get a, a hell mary knockout early in the fight. So, if anything, Curtis Blades could probably, you know, come away from this fight thinking to himself, okay, cool, well, I know where I need to, to you know, to improve and where I need to focus on. That's my cardio, and that's to to make sure that next to my fight, I can go you know five fives at the very very top level and that's what he's going to need um and look we've got this uh, i think i mentioned it last week we've got this um 
Alexander Gustafsson Fabrizio Verdum fight coming up on uh, on Fight Island in a couple of weeks. Now, I don't know if Verdum's going to be around in the UFC much longer after this. To be honest with you, I think this might be either his last fight in the UFC or maybe his second to last fight on his on his contract and. And then maybe he'll, you know, start to, you know, fight for the other organizations. I just, I just, I don't know. Something about the whole situation with Fabrizio Verdum doesn't really tell me or give me the feeling that he's going to be around for the long term. However, if Gustafsson's able to get a win over Verdum, if I'm Curtis Blades, that is a great fight for me to kind of chase and go after maybe at the, the second half or the, the latter part of 2020. A, to keep busy. B, to fight another high-profile fighter. And, and and I think nine times out of ten, if you're going to fight Gustafsson, you're pretty much solidifying uh, an opportunity to, to headline a fight night card and to get another five-round uh, five fight um, on, on, on the books. And that's what he needs. Um, and, you know, look, that might be a good kind of, like, you know, placeholder until the DC, Stipe, and Ngannou situation kind of figures itself out down the road. Um, and I think that's the best... I could kind of say, given what happened this past weekend, it wasn't exactly um, the kind of performance or fight you want to shout about or, or let your friends know on, on a Sunday, hey, make sure you tune into this one. Yeah, it was. It, it got the job done, but that was about it. Um, it didn't really... I don't think it enhanced his stock too much. Um, there's a whole load of Brits looking to enhance their stock over the next month, though, Sandu. We've got... I think there are 15 at last count booked to fight on Fight Island... Very quickly, we'll just quickly run through who's fighting who and when, and then we'll roll roll over and talk about um, what's coming up this weekend. But Fight Island on July the 12th, UFC 251, kicking off the entire event. Dangerous Davy Grant, Bishop Auckland's own, uh, Bantamweight taking on Martin Day, so he's getting back in there. Davy Grant's had some terrible luck with injuries, um, so it'd be good to see him getting back in there. He's had to sort of sit tight and wait. Uh, on the preliminary card, Scotland's Danny Henry is going to be stepping in to take on uh, a man familiar, very familiar to me and Sandu, Makwan Amirkani, who uh, who we've got to know quite well over the years covering the sport uh, on this side of the world. Uh, that'll be a really interesting fight. I'm looking forward to that. Um, so we've got two Brits on that UFC 251 card on July the 12th. Then we have July the 16th. We have uh, a load of Brits on this card as well. We've got John Phillips taking on Dusko Todorovic on uh, the preliminary card in a fight that was going to take place originally at the O2. That is an an original fight from UFC London that has finally been rebooked. Featherweight Ricardo Ramos versus Lerone Murphy. That is an absolute banger of a fight. Keep your eye on that one. That's got fight of the night potential, that one. Lerone Murphy... um, Looked really good on his on his UFC debut. Uh, got a draw against Zubaira Tukagov. Um, arguably deserved better. Um, but uh, that'll be a great fight. Molly McCann is on that card against Talia Santos. Former Cage Warriors uh, light heavyweight champion. He's Lithuanian, but we've adopted him as a Brit. He lives over here. Uh, Modestus Bukowskis. He's taking on Vinicius Moreira. Chris Fishgold kicks off the main card against Jared Flash Gordon. That should be a decent one as well. Loads of Brits. There's more Sandu. We've got two more fight cards with more Brits on. We have on July the 19th on Fight Island, we have Brett Johns taking on Montel Jackson. Joe Duffy from from Ireland is taking on Joel Alvarez. Not British, we know this, but he's Irish. That's good enough for us to give him a mention. Uh... Really nice lad, Joe Duffy. Looking forward to seeing him back in here. Former Cage Warriors champ Nad Naramani takes on Grant Dawson. Um, and Mark Jacasey, the bone crush, has taken on Raphael Fiziev. That has got fireworks written all over it. Raphael Fiziev, if you're not familiar with him, is one of the lead striking coaches at Tiger Muay Thai. He knows his way around and uh, he loves to stand and bang. Mark Jacasey will absolutely love that matchup. That should be a good one. And then finishing things off, uh, a dynamite card to round off the, the the run of Fight Island shows, and we'll t- we'll touch on the main event in a sec. Sandu Nathaniel Wood is taking on Umar Nurmagomedov, who is the undefeated cousin of Khabib Nurmagomedov, the former GFC champion, uh, Guerrilla Fighting Championship over in Dagestan. 
Now he's in the UFC. He's unbeaten. He's got a lot of hype behind him. He's taking on the prospect, Nathaniel Wood. That is an absolute banger. Second fight of the night uh, on the prelims. We also have Mike Grundy, uh, former Commonwealth Games wrestler, training partner of Darren Till, taking on uh, more Russian opposition in Movsar Evloev. Uh, Tom Aspinall, uh, another training partner and teammate of Darren Till, taking on Jake Collier at heavyweight. Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts will face Nicholas Dalby in a fight that I know the pair of us were really looking forward to on that London card. They've kept that match up together, and I'm really pleased about that. That's going to kick off the main card. Um, and we've got, in the main event, Robert Whittaker against Darren Till. Before we talk about this weekend's event, let's just have a bit of a, a way-too-early look at Robert Whittaker and Darren Till. This is, this is a match made in, uh, in, 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 in middleweight matchmaking heaven, surely. This is a cracker of a fight. Absolutely, and this is the the best thing Darren Till did when he moved up to middleweight is he got himself a high-profile fight in Kelvin Gastelum, and it was on a main card of a UFC pay-per-view, UFC 244. And the best way to get yourself into title contention, you know, the quickest route possible is to fight the former champion, and in Robert Whittaker, Darren Till wins here, and he's gonna. There's no way the you know the UFC the way they've used him in, in all these main events and how much they care about the the UK market. There's absolutely no way, unless he absolutely stinks the joint out, that they don't put him um, up against the winner of uh, an Israel Adesanya, Panama Costa further down the road. Um, Darren Till I think's done a fantastic job of keeping his i guess his spirit out there his um personality you know he like pound for pound he has been the absolute king of social media during this lockdown quarantine period uh i think everyone listening probably follows him on on twitter and instagram and you know whether it's these photoshopped images um of him as dana white or michael bisping or whatever he's having fun and that comes across uh, through his social media and, and i think everyone's kind of having fun along with him um and that's a hard thing to do on social media to kind of really get that you know type of charisma across uh, and he's had some you know jabs back and forth with israel adesanya already he's he's planted some nice seeds there that all being said hell of a fight tough tough matchup for him going to be a hard contest and, and and again if he get if he gets the job done all, all, all power to him because then he's gonna gonna go fight for the title next but robert Whitaker, man this is going to be a tough one for him too you know this ain't going to be no you know you know walk in the park for him either um i think you know out of the two he's probably got a little bit longer of the the travel uh, to get there and I think he's probably got a bit of a chip on his shoulder and a bit bit to prove as well because this is his first fight having lost to, to Adesanya and, and lost his championship so it's always interesting to see how fighters rebound from a situation like that um, to try and kind of get back uh, to where they want to be which is to, to hold the UFC championship again I can't wait this is and in fact I'd say this much as well outside of the the pay-per-view um, that kicks off uh, the, the events in, on Fight Island, uh, the stacked UFC 255. This is the best fight night card of the bunch, without a shadow of a doubt. It is absolutely stacked from top to bottom, and I can't wait for it. Yeah, it's going to be great. And uh, just a, just another note on Robert Whittaker. Obviously, he went he went through a bit of a personal journey as well. He had some some uh, almost a crisis of confidence, I think. Um, and uh, he was doing a training run and he basically sort of was halfway up his training run and was like, why am I doing this? Um, and uh, took a bit of a step back, stepped away from the sport for, for a while, refreshed, got himself back into a, a place where he needed to be, um, was very open about it, talked about it, you know, talking about his mental health and that's to be, that's to be applauded. Um, and uh, I know some of, his, uh, some of his colleagues in the UFC I think Till might even have been one of them. Um, reached out and, uh, and and sort of with, with with some words of support as well. Um, this is a great fight because this is a fight where both guys know exactly what they want to get out of it. They want to get back to the belt. If you're Robert Whittaker, or Darren Till wants to get another shot at a UFC world title, but there's no real animosity here. This is just a just two elite level fighters who want the same thing, and they're going to go head to head and see who the best man on the night is. There's no need for trash talk ahead of this fight. There's no need for any needle because 
these two guys will sell the fight themselves. They've both got great personalities. They've both got highlight reels that will easily sell the fight on, on, on their own. And uh, that's going to be an absolute banger. And as you said, this fight night card, top to tail, is outstanding. So great way to finish off uh, that, that four event run at UFC Fight Island on Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi. But before we get to all of that, we have one more event at the UFC Apex, and it is a cracker. We've got some great fights on the card for that. Let's take a look. Let's just focus on the main card, though, because uh, this, it's a four-fight main card, so they're keeping it nice and lean, and we've got four fights. All four of them should deliver plenty of fireworks. So John Vellante uh, and, and Maurice Green. John Vellante moving up to heavyweight to take on the crochet boss himself, Maurice Green. That's just going to be a slobber knocker from minute one, Sandu. Yeah, um, these guys both like to come and you know stand and bang, as the kids say, Simon. Right? Um, I'm interested to see how John performs at heavyweight. I don't know if this was something that he's wanted to do for a long time, or if it's just okay. It's quarantine. It's COVID nineteen. Um, you know, we've seen some other fighters miss weight uh, or you know step up a weight class or agree to a catch weight fight. So I'm kind of interested to see as this kind of week plays out. Uh, what his kind of motivations um, have been in the past or, or recently to to move up to to heavyweight and um, and compete in that weight class? Uh, Morris Green, yeah, look, this is a guy that needs a win, Simon. He's back to back losses, um, so you know, competing against maybe a, a career light heavyweight stepping up to heavyweight. Uh, for the first time is probably what the doctor ordered for him but it's not as if Jean Valana doesn't need a win either he's coming off a loss and to be honest with you if you look at his UFC career it's just alternating between wins and losses and wins and losses he hasn't been able to string together back-to-back wins since 2014-2015 so inconsistency has been his biggest downfall during his UFC run so um, yeah it's going to be an interesting contest can't wait to see you know who comes out on top but it's an important fight for both fighters yeah, and don't sleep on the fight that follows it either. A middleweight bout between Brendan Allen and Kyle Dalkus. And uh, Kyle, Kyle Dalkus is going into this undefeated um, and uh, former CFFC, uh, who are, which, which is a great promotion. If you've got UFC Fight Pass, look out for their events. Cage Fury Fighting Championships. They're based out on the East Coast. They hold great shows quite often out of Atlantic City, New Jersey. And... Their shows, they've got a real sort of cage warriors, cage warriors-y kind of feel to them, um, and uh, I really, I really like the way they go about things. And Carl Dalkus was the middleweight champion. Um, he's now got his call up to the UFC, where he takes on Brendan Allen, who has looked pretty useful so far. I mean, I, I, I think he came through the contender series. Um, he he looks useful as well. So I think that is going to be a banger of a fight at 185 pounds. I don't know whether you got to see any either of those guys in action before, Sandy, but they might not have the name value yet, but um, definitely, definitely one to watch out for. Yeah, I actually haven't seen them compete, um, to be honest with you, so I'm kind of curious to see. Look, look, the UFC seems to think very highly of them, right? You don't get a main card spot for nothing, and especially over in the US, this is a main card that's going to be airing on ESPN. So this is not going to be on ESPN Plus. So um, I think the the ratings are going to be pretty strong for for fans that are kind of I guess um, looking for more sports to watch on a Saturday night. Uh, even though I think a lot of other sports are gradually starting to kind of get back into the swing of things. Um, Premier League is back, and that's been great, and some other sports as well. But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. But after that, Simon is where this card. Really, you know, this 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 card has been built around two fights in particular. If you look at the the fight night poster, it's all about Mike Perry versus Mickey Gall, and of course Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker. Mike Perry, Simon, he's a fun guy, you know, especially during a fight week, and, and he he brings it in in the cage as well. He's a, he's a he's an action fighter, but man, only two wins in his last seven. It's not great when you look when, you, when you're looking at his record. Um, so he he needs a win. He really really needs a win. Um, and look, and again again, the UFC they must think highly of him because they've given him that co-main event spot. And then obviously in Mickey Gall you've got someone that come through the contender series. He obviously had the high profile fight against CM Punk. And then after that you know he kind of alternated wins and losses. And he hasn't fought 
in close to a year. I actually remember seeing him at a PFL event late last year. And I was kind of like asking him how things were going. And at the time, he seemed to be in good spirits. And one of the things that was interesting, and maybe this is a nice little tidbit for, for listeners, is when I was speaking to him, it was it was apparent to me that he was taking control of his life professionally. He's now got his sister, um, who's essentially his manager. Um, so he's kind of really taking things into you know, into his own hands. And so it'll be interesting to see if, if he can, you know, get a win, he's he's it's kind of funny, man. He's only like four eight times, and he's twenty eight. So in terms of you know fight years, he's still you know pretty young. He's not even to double digits in terms of pro fights. But look, he should be in his prime. You know, he should be in his athletic prime right now. Um, so I'm curious to see how that one plays out as well. Yeah, Mike Perry. Here's a here's a little fun fact for you. I was the first journalist to interview Mike Perry on his first ever media day. Um, our colleague John Morgan had a sit down with him during fight week uh, at UFC two ahead of UFC two hundred two, and I was over for that. And uh, John sort of tipped me the nod and said, "If you want someone to grab early on and in, in, in media day, because um, I think Cowboy Cerrone was on that card and." Actually, he was sat next to Mike Perry, and there was this massive scrum of people all around Cowboy. And Mike Perry, who was done up to the nines, he, he'd, he'd gone the full the full nine yards with the uh, with the flash suit and everything. He, he he looked he looked a million bucks, just sitting there like a a man without a wedding to go to. So um, I went along and had a chat with him, and uh, he was outstanding fun. He was great fun, and um, he seems to have remembered me from that. Because every time I've seen him since, he always sort of has a little joke with me about it. So so that's great. He has actually if you look at the fights he's lost, right? Yeah, he's lost he's lost a few fights. But take a look at his last three defeats. So we're looking uh November 2018, August 2019 and then December 2019. But he's lost to Donald Cerrone, Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal might not have the name value, but he's going to be a contender within the next 18 months. Um because that lad can bang um Vicente Luque we know all about him he's outstanding and he only beat Mike Perry by split decision uh Donald Cerrone obviously uh finished him with that that infamous armbar and that famous photo of him armbarring Mike Perry but Mike Perry is has been competitive in all of his fights my worry is who's training Mike Perry right now because is it really just his girlfriend who's a college student by the looks of it um and we've seen footage of, of him hitting pads or attempting to hit pads while she's holding them. And like, I'm kind of fearful for, her, for you know, for, for her shoulders and for her hands because she's not really holding them very well. And Perry's trying to hit the pads. Very strange. And um, I just don't know. I hope, I hope he's getting some quality work in somewhere. And all of this is just a social media ruse. I saw he posted a picture showing his knuckles all cut up and bleeding and all of this. But then he posted a picture a day after or like maybe even the same day of him with a few of his training partners. And his hands looked absolutely fine. So I don't know whether one of those pictures was old and he's just sandbagging. But a Mike Perry fight is very rarely a boring fight. And uh, Mickey Gould is a great character. I mean, yeah, he, um, he was one of the first guys to come through um, Dana White's looking for a fight. Um, and uh, he, he he called out CM Punk after after a win, um, and uh, that got him the fight. And he you know it, he he became an instant star at that point. You know everyone was suddenly interested in who this Mickey Gall kid was. We knew the UFC were looking for someone to fight CM Punk at the time, and he made it happen for himself. He's a perfect perfect illustration of if you, if you want something, open your mouth and try and get it because. He managed to make it happen, and he's been in the UFC ever since. Patchy record, few wins, few you know, a couple of losses, but um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because Mickey Gould's going to have to take some punches in this fight, um, and uh, a lot of the people he's fought so far have tended to be uh, not concussive punches really. So Mike Perry will step in there and rough him up, um, and if Mickey Gould can take him down, I think Mickey Gould can win on the ground. If he can't take Mike Perry down. I fancy Mike Perry to bust him up. So it's one of those. It's a really tough one. 
but it's an absolutely brilliant fight to lead in to the main event. And oh my goodness me, Sandu. If that if that's the orders for the main event, we've got Dustin Poirier out of the red corner. We've got Dan Hooker out of the blue corner. Two of the best, most uh, fan-friendly, action-packed fighters in that UFC 155-pound division. Former interim champ Poirier against a man who is absolutely in the form of his life in Dan Hooker. Um, I'll ask you for a prediction if you've got one, but I mean, I don't know how to call this fight. I'll talk about that fight in a second. I just realised, going back to the co-main event for a split second, that you're right, Mickey Gall came through looking for a fight and not Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. I always get those two confused and mixed up, but I'd, I'd love to see where the show is looking for a fight. Uh, I don't know if they've kind of got any new uh, episodes in the can ready to, to unleash. Probably not because of COVID-19, but it feels like over the last couple of years, it's been more Contender Series that's been producing the kind of up-and-coming talent that the UFC promote. Uh, but you're right, Mickey Gall was literally the first one to break out into the scene because of that show specifically. All right, that's done. Like you said, that's hors d'oeuvres. Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker. This is unbelievable. I love it. On paper, this should be just like Shane Burgess and Josh Emmett in terms of this is guaranteed going to be a great fight. Both guys are fantastic, are technical, can knock people out. I uh, can finish fights. Um, you know they're going to bring it. You, you, you know they're not really going to take a you know a backward step. In terms of breaking this down, though, Simon, it's interesting because Dustin Poirier he hasn't fought in about nine or ten months now, and his last outing was against Khabib, and so we'll see what he's been able to do and change in terms of his game. Because ultimately, if I'm Poirier, I'm still thinking I might get another crack at the championship belt and I'm sure over the coming months he's going to be Justin Gaethje's biggest fan right because if Justin Gaethje can get a win over Khabib and obviously we'll see how things develop with with Conor McGregor and all, all the rest of it but Dustin Poirier has a win over Justin Gaethje right so that'd be a great way for him to kind of get in but obviously right now he needs to focus on Dan Hooker get back in the win column and I do feel like this matchup is a great I guess litmus test to find out where Dustin Poirier is right now in his career he's literally been on the cusp of being at the top of the mountain just didn't have enough just didn't have enough uh, to win the championship belt but we're talking about one of the greatest of all time an undefeated firing Khabib and Talking about litmus tests, it's the same situation for Dan Hooker. This is his toughest fight to date in the UFC, and I'll give him all the credit in the world. It's a fight he's called for. He has, in interviews, post-fight interviews, and in, in media interviews, he's been asking for Dustin Poirier for quite some time, and he's finally got his chance. If he can beat Dustin Poirier, he then breaks into the elite, the, the top echelon of the UFC lightweight division. I have no idea, Simon, how it's going to play out. I genuinely don't. I, I, I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know who I'd pick if you put a gun to my head. But I, I know one thing. I think it's going to deliver. I think it's going to deliver the goods. And whoever wins, it's going to be huge for them, especially for the remainder of 2020, depending on how things shake out in the rest of the lightweight division. Yeah, it's it's one of those just sit back and enjoy fights, isn't it? You know, it's it's. I can't see this being anything other than an absolute classic and... You know, we we talked about a couple of fights that are already very high up in the running for fight of the year. By the time we get back in front of these microphones next week, we may be adding Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker to that list. Um, it should be an absolute banger of a fight this weekend. You'll be able to watch that live on BT Sport here in the UK. Um, and uh, it'll be live on TSN in Canada um, and uh, ESPN and ESPN Plus stateside. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, before we go, um, Sandu obviously normally runs through everything about dealing with our sub stack and all the rest of it before, before I'll sort of throw over to him for that. One thing I'd, I'd, I'd just ask is we really, really appreciate everybody listening in and it's, it's, it's fantastic to have, have, uh, have, have you guys join us every week on the show. Show probably takes about an hour to record. I'm just looking at our, our recorder now. We've just tipped past the hour mark takes probably another hour hour and a bit to to edit it and put it live with you know with a few words on the website so top to tail two maybe three hours tops 
to uh, to put the show together for you and we love doing it and it would it would be brilliant if you could spare us not three hours of your time three minutes that's all i'm asking two three minutes hop on uh apple Podcasts um if you subscribe on apple Podcasts and give us a review if you don't have apple Podcasts or you don't subscribe on apple Podcasts but you're on social media stick a tweet out give us a shout out let us know that you're listening let the people who are following you know that you're listening and uh maybe encourage a few other people to join join the gang and uh be a part of what we're trying to do each week on the brit pack uh hope you guys are enjoying what we're putting out there and uh it's great that we're getting these regular fights now so we're getting getting real life action to talk about so i just wanted to drop that in there um sandu you've got all the details of uh, where everybody can find us absolutely so obviously like i say week in week out our headquarters is the britpack.substack.com and even if you do subscribe on apple podcasts or if you are listening to us on spotify or any other podcatcher jump on the substack drop you know drop a little subscription there because the goal ultimately with the show long term is more than just the weekly podcast is to kind of build a community is to get more engaging content with you guys what that looks like we haven't quite figured it out just yet um but what we do know is we'd love to get polls and questions and more content um built around the people that support the show and support me and simon on the substack so the britpack.substack.com is where we'd love for you guys to to join us ultimately outside of that on social media at simon head on Twitter at Simon Head Sport on Instagram, I am at Sandu MMA across all social media. And if you want to follow along with the show, it's at the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter. Awesome, awesome! Thanks so much for uh, for joining us on another another pack show. Lots more fights coming down the pipe. We will zero in on some of these uh, some of the fights involving the Brits in the coming weeks. But we've got so many great fights to look forward to. Um, feel free to hit us up during fight night as well. I mean, you know, we're both up at stupid o'clock watching these things. Um, so if you're if you're a regular listener, uh, by all means, hit us up during the fights and uh, sort of watch along with us as we go. It should be should be another good night this weekend at the UFC Apex, and then all eyes turn to Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. Thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy the fights, and we'll speak to you next week. Yeah.